So we had a big study in the UK this week that suggested, um, we didn't suggest, it said that the UK was a bastion of diversity and that um, uh, it's seen, all the headlines seem to suggest we had no racial problems at all. What was your first impression of that? Because I thought it was bollocks. We <laughs> um, didn't say there was no problems at all. I think it just... I think part of the argument was highlighting that not every disparity between the races is down to some sort of systemic racism. And to have an actual definition of what systemic racism means, there is no exact definition. So to put... I think it was quite clear the report highlighted that every single racial disparity cannot be appinned or attributed to racism within the UK. Which is true, and, and, and that's a fair point. I think it was the... Um maybe it was the headlines that jumped out that made a few people think it wasn't a particularly uh, sensible way to present it. Potentially not, but I mean, it's a report, I guess, and um, the government can choose what recommendations they take on and they don't take on at the end of the day. So it's up to them to decide, you know, what action they want to take. So I guess the fact that it's come out and people don't like it, then, well, I'm not sure about this government, but you'd hope that a government would take the report and the reaction and try to work something out there. Do you think this country is racist? No, not, I know that's a silly statement. Do you think we have racial problems within it? Well, there's, there's always going to be elements of individual racism. So people see that every day. Um, you know, people experience that every day. I think to suggest that in terms of systemic racism, as it's as it's called, I think, it's much harder to prove. It's much more complicated than simply saying that systemic racism is, you know, the, the, is the basically means that we have a divided society between the races. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's the age-old thing, isn't it? It's a huge problem. I think we've discussed it before. But I suppose if I linked it to... Um, I put up the story on the site the other day about that... Uh, college where the boys had to apologize to girls stood next to them for what people of their gender had done and again I saw that and thought well this is silly the problem is how do we solve all these issues of race uh this thing that's going around now that men uh or a lot of men treat women really badly how do you resolve that without resorting to demonising all white people, all men? It, it strikes me as what people are trying to do is maybe missing the mark. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tricky because I do think to a certain extent to attribute certain, you know, qualities or personality uh, types to people based on race no matter what the race is racist if someone was to do that to black people to assume that they have a certain personality type or to assume that they are you know in some way anything negative based purely on their race then that would be racism and it is racism and you see this in um, America sometimes with the latest mass shooting the one in um, I think oh, Boulder, Boulder, I think it was. Mm. 
and plenty of people who... The latest, I think there's one this morning, actually. Oh, well, the one in Boulder, and plenty of people tweeted out yet another attack by a white male, and it turned out the guy was a Syrian refugee. And they there was an attempt to justify... I think it was Kamala Harris's niece, maybe? Right. I, was, I, was, I, can't, I can't say exactly who it was, but... The attempts to justify that was that these attacks are usually carried out in terms of mass shooting, usually carried out by white men. So that somehow justifies attributing that crime and assuming a race behind that. Now, if you were to do that with anything else, if you were to say statistically this race commits more of this crime than another, and you decide to do that, I think that would, that would be racism because it's effectively attributing, you know, if you're looking at statistics and saying, well, the majority of people of this race do that, so it must be the case that we're going to assume that. And that would be racism if it was done the other way around. And I think that it's done this way around as well kind of shows that, you know, I, I kind of, it's kind of, I'm uneasy with it, with the idea of that. Okay. I suppose there's a bit of me, though, that thinks, if someone writes, oh, yet another mass shooting done by a white male, I don't believe they're saying, in that particular instance... I don't believe they're necessarily saying this is a white man problem. I wonder if they're actually saying um, this perception that black people cause more crime, this perception that Muslims cause more terrorism, and the fact that the far right actually undertakes more terrorist acts across Europe than Muslims ever have doesn't seem to matter but I think in that instance surely they're making the point that although you're right maybe the intention behind it um, is suggesting that there's a white problem but I wonder if really the way I would read that is actually yes you've got a good point and it's funny isn't it how when it comes to mass shootings people don't people don't say and people don't tend to talk about oh, another white guy's shot a load of people Yet, strangely, people will tend to do it when it's non-white people doing certain uh, criminal acts. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's true. I wouldn't say just because they're white that they are, especially nowadays, you know, absolved of their sins. You know, if you're a mass shooter, you're an, ev- you're an evil person. I think most people, especially in America and in the UK, would accept that completely. I think that the case here was that, you know, they'd assumed the race before they, the actual race, race had been released by the police and just assumed that. And I know what you mean. In terms oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I know what you mean in terms Syrian, of yeah. mass shooting. It might be the case that more white men commit mass shootings. I don't know what the exact criteria for a mass shooting is. I'd assume it's more than three. I don't know. But if you looked at under three, then do the racial statistics drastically change? You know, That's I, good I point. don't know. It's but and and there to suggest that you know that would be a race, you know a problem with another race. You know, then you're looking into very dodgy territory there. So, yeah, and it's an interesting point, I suppose, because, and it, and it goes back to that question of how do you solve these things, because immediately someone's made that point about uh, the fact that it is a white person, so it shows that there's an issue there, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't think a lot of these things. Is it unrealistic to? it's not meant to sound like a cop-out this but is it unrealistic to 
try and stop all the difference. We've talked about this many times, but the differences between the genders, differences between race, and I keep saying it, there are big differences between different groups of people, and there always will be. What people don't seem to be talking about is ever accepting that. And I'm not, and it doesn't, just because you might accept that um, people are different based on, let's just say their race. Black men are probably, as a general rule, as we've seen, the fastest black men tend to be quicker than the fastest white men. It's dominated, you know, heavyweight boxing has been dominated. I realise you get the odd anomaly like Tyson Fury. Yeah. But there's certain things that black black people are naturally better at. There's certain things that white people are naturally better at. You know, swimming yeah. for one. Yeah. But, so... Do you think we've almost become averse to celebrating difference? I mean, I think that's a good point. I mean, that's, in terms of the gender, that's the whole argument against the gender pay gap thing. The whole argument is that with a gender pay gap, you take the median income of men, the median income of women, you put it together and then you get, you know, 70 pence to every pound or or dollars or whatever that is. And the whole argument with that is it's a poor way of measuring it because... What you aren't doing is you're not incorporating the choice of women, yeah. the choice of men, when they start their careers, if they've taken breaks in their careers, stuff like that. So there are differences between men and women, which are which are there, and everyone knows it's you know it's common sense. There are differences between men and women. That's why every comedian has you know made a joke, made you know the classic jokes about the differences between men and women because they exist and everyone knows they're there. So I yeah. think it's a good is embracing difference is fine. But you don't you don't want to segregate people on the basis of race. That's what you don't want to do. You don't want to effectively, you know, put people in their little box of race and then not allow people to, you know, to live in harmony. No, and it's a, it's an impossible problem, maybe. But this is the point when I talk about celebrating difference. This issue, you're right about men and women and the pay gap and again covered it before about the stuff that Peterson has said um, rather than look at oh there's a pay gap oh it's awful why are we not looking at what people get paid for the jobs that um, women tend to lean to yes you've got the career gap um, where a woman has a child and you've got the natural career gap there uh, but and that's not always the case. Often now a man will stay at home yeah. if, if the woman's earning more money. But shouldn't we really be looking at what, what we value in society? And that's particularly over the last year has been proved. The people who um, have kept us going are the lowest paid. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think the best way that you know people could probably live their lives is to do what they want to. If they want to stay at home and raise the children as a woman. They shouldn't be shamed into doing that. And if they don't want to do that, or if you're a man and you want to stay at home, you shouldn't be shamed to doing that either. You know, you look at sort of, you know, with the progression, you know, over the last 40 years, it's gone from, you know, where a man would have been shamed 40 years ago and a woman would have been celebrated for staying at home. I think they still would be. If I think of where I work, I think they wouldn't be shamed, but I think people would be a bit... If the man said... I'm going to take a year off to look after my newborn child. I think a lot of us would still be like, 
Yeah, but really? it's the average age of the people you work with. No, no, no that's a good point, actually. Yeah. I well, think... no, no, but there are a few people there that are 30 and that, and I still would be surprised to hear someone say that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I know what you mean, I think, but I think we're, move, we're moving in the general direction now. We're moving yeah. in the general direction of women shouldn't have to stay at home, which they shouldn't do, and if a woman wants to work... And they should be able to. And I think I think that kind of does manifest into reality. I think you're right when you say it's not about whether a woman or a man should be at home. It's usually whoever's earning the most money. Yeah, it if tends you... to be. But but on that point, are we have we mismanaged? Um, a bit like at schools, we only measure people on what they can remember. We don't measure people on how creative they are, how brilliant they are. I mean, how many billionaires were terrible at school? or classed as terrible intellectually. Um, we don't pay carers hardly anything. We don't pay nurses. Do you see what I mean? Are we, do we have this this historic view still of what's value in society? Maybe, but I think I, as much as this might sound bad, I think the argument to suggest that carers and nurses, they are the lowest paid. And I don't like the argument of comparing nurses to footballers. Because effectively what you have, if, let's take my cohort, my year at university. Yeah. If everyone in that year decided tomorrow they wanted to be a nurse, I would say 90% of them would have the ability maybe. And then maybe 70, 80% would have the will, or maybe less than that, but would have the willpower to do it and would actually become qualified nurses if they wanted to. However, if everyone in that year decided they wanted to be a professional footballer, None of them would make it because it's not about necessarily what we value in the society we have. No one really disputes that nurses do great work and we would be nowhere without them. And that's the same with a lot of low paid jobs. But the fact is, is that there's a lot of nurses and a lot of people can be nurses. How many people can be Premier League footballers? Well, 20 odd in each team, 20 teams. Out of the whole country, it's, it's a skill based thing. And unfortunately, the higher skilled your job is and the less competitive and the less amount of people who can do that the higher you will get paid and that's just sort of a natural you know a natural way it works and that doesn't mean there's not problems in the way that the government have hired nurses and i don't think the government put enough into the nhs and i think the one percent pay rise is a joke especially after the coronavirus pandemic Mm, i'm not sure about that myself and your mum talked about that pay rise and we both agreed we, we weren't 100% convinced uh, it was terrible in the current circumstances. Maybe in the current circumstances but before there have been 1% pay rises Oh, oh, oh yeah it's terrible. I would pick you up though. I do agree with what you say that's a very good point about how many people can become Premier League footballers. The first thing I'd say it's interesting how you said 90% could become nurses I would suggest that that's to misunderstand Okay, maybe 90% could become nurses. How many would have the empathy to be good nurses? You tend to find the people who are nurses, it's a vocation, and they do it because they're that kind of person. I very much doubt if 90% of people in your year would have the empathy to do that. You, for example, could never be a nurse in a million years. Maybe the 90% is a bit far. However... Nurses are paid, I don't know, anything from 20 to maybe 40 if you're a senior nurse, yeah, yeah, something yeah. around that. That's maybe a bad example to use the nurses, but it still stands because the job I do, I work in a shop 
that's countless times I've heard or had customers say to me, you guys should be paid more. You know, we deal with some people, you know, people who are a bit violent sometimes and we deal with issues. But the fact is, is that if I quit my job tomorrow, there are thousands and there are millions of people out the country who could do my job very easily, which is why I'm paid close to minimum wage to work in this shop. But no one would ever Doesn't, say you should get paid more to be a lawyer if that's what, because that's what you want to be. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is that while I work hard, and I do work hard, or some people work hard, some, yeah. people, some people make massive sacrifices, it doesn't mean that you know, your, work, your work is necessarily worth that amount of money. And the same goes, unfortunately, for nurses. Maybe 80% is a stretch, I think you're right, but the amount of people who could become nurses in comparison to top-paying, yeah, skilled jobs, very high you know, footballers, you know, very, you know, people who get lucky enough to become entrepreneurs and end up being successful, partly luck, you know, hard work and all of, all of that. The amount of people who could be successful nurses is, in a way, a reflection of what they should what they should be paying. And maybe it's a bad example here because we have a socialised healthcare system, but I would assume nurses are paid roughly similar in America. Maybe a bit more because it's privatised healthcare, and, but yeah. they won't be paid an awful lot more than the nurses that we have over here, for example. And that's because... You know, the amount of people who can become nurses or who have the ability to become nurses or can afford to come ner- become nurses is much higher than those who make it to top flight football or maybe become top neurosurgeons because that's just the way it works and then the pay structure will always reflect that. Uh, is it just that though? I mean, you've opened my eyes a bit there. I do agree with that. Is it also the number of people who do a particular job? I.e. you've got potentially hundreds of thousands of people who work in retail you've got a million people in the nhs you haven't got that many lawyers you don't have that many stockbrokers is it also and and thus if you've got a a smaller number of people doing a particular job um then you start to get competition greater competition so you start to get the much more intelligent people and does that then mean that often it is the men that can end up in those jobs because we're so much more aggressive and competitive? I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I think in terms of what you said about, I think it's all about it's demand, really, isn't it? I mean, there's, yeah, not, yeah. there's, not, there's not demand for millions of lawyers in the UK because they'd have nothing to do. You know, there's not demand for millions of them, but there is for millions of nurses and millions of retail workers. Probably is in America. Yeah, well, yeah. But hundreds of thousands of nurses because the de- oh, sorry, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of retail workers, for example, because the demand is there. Yeah. So those people, those jobs will always be filled. And there's always people waiting to get jobs as well. When I leave my job, someone could train to do my job pretty quickly and be there and, you know, have taken my place quite easily. If a top surgeon, a top lawyer, or even a nurse, if you want to compare a nurse to yeah, yeah, yeah. a retail worker, that's why a nurse gets paid more, because they've gone to uni most likely, they've trained and, you know, and there can be arguments about, the pay structure and if they're not being paid enough and the 1% pay rise which I will largely probably agree with you you know you know go along the side of the 1% pay rise last year for example or before covid was not great no and, uh, maybe nurses are not valued as much as they should be but in terms of value in comparison to you know people who earn a lot of money I think it's a, a, a not a comparison that can be really be made and I think in terms of the thing of men being rising to the top of those jobs I mean I'm not sure I completely agree with that I understand that men have different personality traits and that's something that someone like Jordan Peterson has spoken about a lot but if you I'm sure if you looked the numbers of women in those top areas is going to be increasing 
And you have to remember as well that the, those in the top jobs are going to not only be men, but they're also going to be 60, 50, 70, 80 yeah. years old. So they would have started their career when they did have more opportunity, when it maybe the system was more slightly skewed in their favour. That's a very good point. Change does take a long time. I know yeah. people want to rush it through, but if you look through, and rightly so, but if you look throughout history, things have improved. They're not perfect now, They're not, and they will never be perfect. But if you compare 30, 40 years ago, things have changed for the better. And that's why maybe at the moment, that's not the only reason, but one of the reasons why men maybe dominate those top spheres can probably be pinned down to the fact that they're older and they had better opportunities when they were younger when there was yeah. active discrimination. So like a girl that's your age today in 50 years or sorry, or 30 years time, she would benefit from the fact there's more opportunity today. But obviously that, that would pale in comparison to what a 20-year-old will have in 30 years' time. Exactly. That's a fair point. I mean, I, I agree with you as well about the football players. I think it's a lazy political argument. Yeah. Matt Hancock famously suggested footballers should do more yeah. during the COVID crisis whilst taking an 8% pay rise um, yeah. and, and voting for it as it happens. So it's the, the football thing, you're right. They do. If someone's going to offer you that, and also, there is a bit of um, marketability there. They're obviously worth it. If you spend, if you pay £100 million for a footballer, he's obviously worth it. You're going to get that money. You can get a lot of that money back in shirt sales very quickly. So, so there's a reason for these, these people are bought by clubs. It isn't just to win silverware. It's also a business. Yeah, and the footballers is a particularly lazy argument, I think, because, you know, People don't look at actors who do actors who do good things for you know good social justice causes and so forth like Leonardo DiCaprio. People yeah. aren't looking at him and having a go at how much money he's got. You know, you, unfortunately, the footballers they're paid because the skill levels of how they play football is so high. Like any other sportsman, any singer, any actor, the skill level is so high that they've put themselves in that position. Is it an intellectual thing? Is it an intellectual snobbery where some people look at footballers and think? They're not very eloquent. They're not very bright. Why should they be getting 50 grand a week? Right. I wonder if there's a bit of that, because obviously with actors, um, that's going to be a, a thing, isn't it? With with actors, you know, they're actors, so they're going to come across very well. Um, I, I just wonder if it's almost... A, 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 it's not a deliberate thing, but if you people hear someone like Wayne Rooney stood up there talking... Um, and then someone says, oh, he's on £200,000 a week. I wonder if they find that harder to swallow than hearing someone like George Clooney, excuse the rhyme, but George Clooney stood up there who might get $5 million for his next film. For some reason, that's more palatable to them. Yeah, but I think the only reason, you know, someone would think that is because they don't understand football, they don't watch football. You know, you can look at other sports, yeah, yeah, that you yeah. don't, like snooker and, and not have an appreciation for it. If you have a basic appreciation for football, then you're going to realise that those players are worth it and that they've made their money. And that they they by of far course. make their money. They're not paid that for no reason. No one is paid, well, very, very few people are paid lots of money for absolutely no reason, especially people who come from nothing in the first place. Because the vast majority fall out in the early years, don't they, anyway? Because they're not good enough. Yeah, so it is the best of the best. Well, if you think about why the Premier League is the best league in the world, the amount of competition, if you want to talk about competition, Shoot. every boy I know who ever played football, I played football, 
you know, you've got millions of kids playing football, all competing for the top 20 teams who have about 20 players on the roster each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so the amount of competition... And most, of them are, and most of them are from abroad. That's the thing. Well, yeah, and what that, what that does is that immense level of competition will naturally bring out the best skill level. Yeah. You know, the, the immense level of competition between boys and football on the early stages will lead to the best of the best of the best becoming the top footballers. And that's true in every aspect of life, pretty much. And then the demand goes up for the best of the best from very rich clubs. And thus, it spirals to this point now where the, the, the salaries feel inordinate. Um, but you're right. I don't think even Lewis Hamilton gets as much crap for how much he earns and he earns an absolute fortune but he earns an absolute fortune because and he's, he's brilliant he's, he's won seven world championships no, 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 and he's an amazing uh, race exactly player. no yeah i agree with that yeah but but what i'm saying is it's funny how again the footballers seem to get the brunt of this salary thing and again a certain newspapers will build that up yeah. um you know the ones i'm talking about uh, because they just like to stir it up yeah okay I'll try and make this one quick. Me, me and you sort of started discussing this yesterday. And God, did it go on. COVID. Yeah. I've just written the question. Are some people too thick to help themselves? Now, I know we have, we've literally verged on an argument about this because I was really pissed off when I saw hundreds, thousands of people in parks within a couple of hours of a nice sunny day when we'd slightly relaxed our rules. And my argument to you was, I felt these people were a bit dim because all they could see was the rules are relaxed. I'm going to go out. And yes, there's now a thousand people in the park, but I'm going to stay here because I'm going to push that rule to the limit. That worried me a bit because I felt they present a danger to me and the rest of the country, really. But you didn't quite agree, did you? I mean, and there's no doubt that, you know, if you're having a rave in a park with, you know, 100 people you don't know, that's, that is probably quite irresponsible considering the, the circumstances. But what I said was if you compare it to last year, for example, the difference is, is it's, I don't, I don't, I kind of understand the mindset in a way when you've got 30 odd million people vaccinated and you're 20 years old. The whole point of, people staying in was to protect the elderly and now all of the elderly are vaccinated and I yeah. can understand that mindset of well I'm 20 odd the chances I'll even get symptoms are low let alone end up in hospital or die up you probably have more chance of being in a car accident way more chance I'd imagine and you've got 30 I think what was it 32 million people vaccinated at the moment 34 today yeah. 34 million people vaccinated four and a half million on their second dose and I can understand people picking holes in the in the lockdown approach like you said the question yesterday or the day before even on the briefing if you're if there was a grandparent who's had both doses why can't they see their grandchild inside which logically makes sense because if they're vaccinated both times and they see their grandchild inside then that would be no different from them seeing them on july on june 21st so i can understand people because because they're still going to be in the same position. They're going to be vaccinated with both doses and the, child and the grandchild most likely won't be. So I can understand why people are questioning the lockdown. And I, 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 do, I do get the frustration 
of I think it's unfortunate time that they happen to open on the hottest day <laughs> in 60 odd years in March yeah. and I think that is frustrating but I think the government must anticipate this at some point. What do they think people are going to do in April? Or what do they think people are going to be doing in May when you can have 30 people in the garden in the summer? Yeah, but all of that, I guess my thought is, and my thoughts were, I don't think these people even think about it past 10 seconds. I don't think they literally see, you know, me and Joe went to a shop the other day. If you're in the UK, I'm ashamed to say it was B&M. And there must have been 10 people without masks. Now, how do I say this? Why was it that people could not socially distance in there, couldn't be bothered to wear masks or chose not to? And that sort of gave me the sense that... It's a different kind of clientele. Um in that shop but it gave me the sense of what chance do we really have long term if you've got these adults that are so stupid that they can't even follow a simple rule and what seems to be when i then saw that in the sunny day thousands and thousands of people immediately out it's just a bit disheartening with everything we've gone through it's like no one ever thinks of other people or is able to think, if I was just a little bit more careful, just for a tiny bit longer, I don't need the government to give me the exact rule. I can make my own decision, like I've done before, we've done before we locked down ourselves before the government ever said, because they're always late. Um, doesn't that annoy you a little bit, that, that we're almost having to suffer, potentially suffer longer? because of these idiots. I mean, I mean, potentially, I do understand the art, and I do understand people being disheartened by, you know, people, and that's, that's everything as well as, you know, and that's, you know, the act from, you know, these people who, you know, in B&M or in shops or at the parks, but it's also then you could say the people at the Sarah Everard vigil, loads of people together, yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone who attended any sort of BLM protest, Yeah. same thing, so, I can see how it's disheartening. However, I will say that I think in terms of a lockdown, I heard Lord Sumption talk about this and he said, you know, for a lockdown to have really worked, which I see it makes sense now seeing what's happened, you need to have a lockdown indefinitely. You either have a lockdown and you keep it going. You can't keep coming in and out. Well, it's always temporary, isn't it? Yeah, you can't keep coming in and out because if you come out of the lockdown, the cases are naturally going to skyrocket and then you have to go back into lockdown again. So the only route out of this is the vaccinations, which is probably always, which has always been the case, really. The only real route out of this is either to eliminate COVID, which is impossible for us to do, yeah. um, or to get everyone vaccinated. Now we have half the population, or over half, fifty-seven percent of adults maybe at this time, yeah, yeah. Um, vaccinated at the moment. And I can understand the frustration of people who have been in and out restrictions for a year see that 57% of people have been vaccinated over 50s you know some probably late 40s have been vaccinated now yeah. and the want to go out effectively and it's it seems interesting that covid seems to be at the forefront of these people who have decided to go out and have you know go out to a park in Leeds or whatever well, it's not it's not including the litter thing that's a separate issue but in terms of the people going out and being close to each other but it's not, you know, but it's not a forefront issue when people are at the Sarah Everard vigil or people at any sort of BLM protest. Uh, but it's also 
in terms of any anti-lockdown protest, the chief concern is COVID. So it's almost, it seems to be, people play this probably unconsciously, this sort of justification game in their heads. And I'm sure I'm probably guilty of it as well. When I saw the Sarah Everard videos of the police, my first reaction wasn't, what about COVID? It was how badly the police have treated the protesters. Because you're focusing on something different. But if you see an anti-lockdown protest, your first thing is, are these people, you know, they're idiots, anti-vaxxers, they're just spreading COVID. But when you see the BLM thing, people naturally don't think, oh, they're spreading COVID. It's almost a justification. If you're out there for a a good cause, in quotation marks, no matter what that good cause could be to you, then that's somehow okay. That's a good point. I mean, I must admit, when I saw um, some of the BLM protests, my first thought was, oh my God, how many people are together? But you're right, the people who've gone to it are just thinking um, this cause is worth it. But I guess the motivation and the understanding of COVID and the dangers of it is the same either way. If you go to a protest and you feel that it's something's worth protesting and risking more people catching COVID and dying, and you're probably no different than if you go to a park. With your point about the litter being a separate issue, to go back to my B&M comment, I would suggest that the litter is maybe evidence of what was happening in the people that had gone to the park. And and that's, I know it sounds awful, but it, it, it feels like, it feels like that. And, and it's not a nice opinion, and people won't like it, but it feels like that. It feels like a lot of the people who shout about Brexit, who won't wear the masks in shops, and put it this way, they're similar kinds of people. Yeah, but then does it just? But then at that point, does it just feel like that? You know, you don't live up north in you know in Leeds where any of this happens. Thank God. <laughs> but it, Sorry. <laughs> but it, but it feels it, you know it's all it's all a perception, isn't it? It's the same perception I was on about with the justification of going to a, a vigil or a protest is somehow justification for spreading COVID, but going out and having fun isn't. It's all a bit of a perception yeah. to suggest that half of the uni, half of the young people who've gone out there to suggest that they're all Brexiteers which seemed kind of, you know, unlikely considering I don't think many people under the age of 40 are partic- were particularly in favour of Brexit. No, I'm not suggesting they're Brexiteers, but what I was saying, it seemed to be similar kinds of people. I agree with you. I, don't, I, don't, I think very few young people were. I, I think it's maybe, it was just that fact that slight easing of the lockdown, seeing thousands of people out, my first instinct was what chance have we got? Yeah. Because this is only a tiny relaxing. What happens next? And then it, it just strikes me that it could, we could get a problem with mutations and that. But the first people to, to complain will be those who are in the park. But but I think the thing about mutations is difficult. I mean, if you, you know, I think if you've got 57% of adults vaccinated, they've released the rules. It's, you know, the as the weather gets hotter it's going to get worse in terms of people congregating and gathering if 50 percent of people are vaccinated only more people are only only more people are going to get vaccinated now yeah so while cases might take a short upturn or maybe a slightly bigger one it's going to come down eventually and i think the thing about mutations is it's so hard to predict you know mutations they're going to come down to deaths isn't it well I th- yeah and i think the i think to suggest that there's people in the park are going to cause a mutation when France have literally just gone into a third lockdown and have got 40,000 cases a day. I think a mutation is much more likely to come from one of those countries. 
Um, so, well, no, well, it depends actually. Scientifically, possibly not, because what they've just got is ours, the one we that caused us the problem. And it's interesting. They also tried limited, targeted lockdowns to stem it, like we did. And look at the mess we made yeah. um, in the start of the year. So they're going through a mirror image. Um, apparently, mutations are more likely to come when the virus has problems finding people. So you are more likely to have a mutation in this country, and it's more likely to spread amongst the people who don't bother with any rules. But I think me and you have sort of been on complete, not op- completely opposite sides, but we've had very different views throughout the whole pandemic. Yeah. And I understand that. You're 20, I'm 50, so we're going to. Um, and you've had to work part-time the whole time. Yeah. You haven't been able to go into uni, which is a shame. So, so you, to a point, your life, I guess actually though, your life's probably been affected a damn sight more than... Have you struggled with the last lockdown? Because it was long. Well, it's not been ideal. I can't, I'm still luckier than a lot of people. I still get to work and stuff. And I, I'm not sure it's just because of our age as well. I think it's a deeper sort of, sort of fundamental value thing as well in terms of I don't like naturally my first instinct is I don't like the government taking control in a pandemic yeah but in a and I know that this is my natural you know thing I don't particularly like an expanding state if you like in normal times and I don't like the idea of states having so much power so I've always you know she would never vote Labour sorry she would never vote Labour potentially this is this is it's what I've changed my mind on Keir Starmer after certain, certain things he's said in regards to that. But I think, yeah, I, naturally, I don't like the idea of the government taking so much power and so many civil liberties no, away and stuff like that. Um, and I, I've never been had an issue with people apply, applying pressure to get the lockdown ended because I think that pressure is needed because we are going to come to a point, arguably we're coming to that point now, where 57% of adults are vaccinated. There is going to come that point where we have to unlock. And I think that pressure needs to be there. So I'm never going to criticise the backbench MPs, for example, who are pushing for, who are, you know, putting the pressure on the government to release the lockdown when they can. And, I, you know, I just... Mm, that makes I sense. I naturally sympathise with that because there is going to come a point where the lockdown does need to end and there is going to come a point where we need to decide how many deaths, how many hospitalizations we're going to accept to free up 60 odd million people. And I would suggest for the free up 64 million people, that's a big, that's a massive weight on one side of the scales. So it's, I, I do understand the pressure of making sure that the government doesn't play it too cautiously and say that too few, too many deaths are or effectively say a certain amount of deaths mean that we have to lose some sort of civil liberties mm. when it's making sure they get the balancing act right and I do have sympathy with them putting I'm not pressure sure it was on deaths though it was always this thing about keeping the NHS yeah. even serviceable um, I find it interesting that you say all that a week after um, our parliament chose to allow the government to still have these draconian powers for another six months Yeah, and and that, that does perturb me a little bit, particularly this government. Um, I don't trust them at all. And I think the danger would be, as you say, if we got to a point where COVID was controllable and was like flu as if they tried to carry on. Because there's been a few little things, even before COVID, I felt that it was starting to move to the government 
wanting too much power, trying to manipulate the electorate, trying to manipulate the voting systems. There's a lot of things they've done that don't feel right. But at the same time, I guess, in a pandemic, they, they probably were excused, I think, on the first time. I'm not sure they should have continued to have that right last week. Um, and as for Keir Starmer, my views changed on him as well. I have no idea what he stands for. Yeah, He changes with uh, whatever is the big news topic of the week. Yeah, I mean, I can understand them having... In terms, you know, I, I don't particularly like this government and I don't particularly trust them with a great deal of power. I can understand why they might have power for the next six months, especially in terms of international restrictions and how they could change because of the yeah. because of the disaster that has been, unfortunately, the European vaccination scheme, which has been a disaster that could affect us as well. And I can understand we're going to need international restrictions for another few years at least. There will be some form of the coronavirus that will be with us in some way or another for many years to come in terms of of course international freedom sorry international restrictions and domestic restrictions in terms of testing and if you have covid you won't be allowed out and self-isolation we're going to have the coronavirus out for a long time to come i think and i think but i do think after that six months expires the government are going to have a very hard time you know if they if at all to pass that through mainly because of their own backbench opposition to something like that and I don't I do actually have some faith in the 80 plus odd MPs who are routinely trying to vote against some of the stuff the government are trying to bring and I do have some faith in them I suspect that, that, that we differ on those 80 MPs in with regard to their motives I don't believe their motives are as clean as, as you may have suggested there I think their motives are, in some ways, they're just, some of them could be lunatics. Um, others, I'm, I'm not so sure. But no, I, I do take your point, actually, and that is a good point about um, the fact that the government should be challenged at all times, because I don't think it would take much to run away with um, having even 20% more power for the next 10, 20 years. And so it goes on through successive governments. Yeah, and I think in terms of the public support and the media support for the government, I think in terms of when they have locked down, they've only had pressure for not locking down enough or for not so-called having enough restrictions or for not being tough enough. The only criticism they've had, you don't see a lot of criticism from mainstream media. I haven't really heard a single question from the BBC asking could we open up earlier in accordance with the vaccination scheme? Just asking the question. They might be wrong, but in terms of, you know, actual mainstream media backlash um, and general government criticism of how long they're going to keep these powers, I haven't seen a lot of that. The criticism's only been why they haven't been tougher, because that's an easier argument to make and it's an easier way to hold the government to account. I, I, I think... And I think it needs to be done still. I don't disagree with that, but... I think in terms of scrutiny the other way, I think there's definitely been a lacking. There's definitely been a lack of scrutiny, especially from the so-called opposition. Oh, they're but, terrible. Yeah, I feel like Keir Starmer plays this game of, okay, this is well, this is going to happen, and then we're going to wait till it goes wrong, and I'm going to say I would have done it all along, but it's not worked now because the vaccination scheme has gone right. Yeah, First yeah. thing the government had done right, and now he's sat there saying, oh, well, yeah, it went right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think... I think it's interesting because I suppose that point with regard to it feels like a lot of the mainstream media have just continually said 
the government should have been stronger. It's probably because they should have been. Let's, we have to face the fact that we were late to lockdown initially. We came out of the first lockdown probably too early. We then didn't have a fire break. We then were late to lockdown again. And it's been a disaster in terms of decision making, aside from the vaccine. Um, and quite a big element of luck in that. But And the reason I say a bit of element of luck is, yes, they did take a punt, so good for them in signing so many contracts and it was a good decision to say give it to the NHS because there's probably no better organisation in the world that they've got a database of everyone they've got your medical history they, do you know yeah. what I mean they're, they've literally got the lot yeah. so that worked very well but I, I wonder I think most of the questions have quite rightly been easy hitters because at the start I was sat here and everyone I knew was sat here going why haven't we locked down yet why are they doing Cheltenham Festival? Why are they having that Liverpool match? It was it was obvious. The same, why are we having Christmas Day loosened? Okay, now they're tightening up a bit too late. And we ended up with, what, 40,000 dead? Because yeah. that... It's, these are easy things to attack. However, I would say the issue with that is, in terms of, say, we opened up too early. I think if we'd opened up at any point, the same thing would have happened. I think, you know, people do make a good point when they say that, in terms of lockdown... Logically, if a lockdown's going to work, it has to stay there the whole time. It, it, it has to. It has to stay there the whole time. Otherwise, you are naturally going to get more cases. If you're not locked, if you're not inside and there's no vaccine, especially with the Kent variant, for example, then it's going to spread. So would people have preferred, if they could go back, to have been in lockdown for the entire year? Because if you had maybe not opened up say, so much in May last year and you decided to open up in June or July, those problems would have still hit in maybe a month later the problems are still going to be there because of you know the it's way a the terrible argument i'm not saying i'm not saying it's an argument in terms of supporting what the government have done yeah but what i'm saying is is that but, but but a month later in a pandemic is massive a month later in a pandemic could be 30,000 lives a month later could be another 6 7 million people vaccinated yeah. this is the point whilst they were developing the vaccines whilst they were aiming for that being late that first wave where they were late and everyone could see it yeah surely that's the role of government is to protect its population yeah. now i do agree you're, you're, you're right it's a very simplistic argument though to say a lockdown can bring cases down but then they come back up whilst that's correct you've got to manage it within the scope of everything that's happening yeah and particularly i think they're doing the right thing at the moment i think they are unlocking the, the right way with a five-week delay in between each bit to see as boris says data not dates he's probably lying again obviously but the um i think the the um this thing about lockdowns i I'm not sure. I think I think your argument does tend to lead to this thing of people willfully neglecting the NHS and not realising that when it's not there, we're all screwed. Yeah. And more people will die. And we were talking, weren't we, the other day, it was 130,000 operations backlog. Yeah. That's massive. 
Yeah. So many people needed to perform one operation over so much time, so much time in hospital afterwards. Yeah. You're going to have people all over the country in agony. Yeah, but I mean, the way the government have handled it, but I'm not saying it's been good. I'm not, I'm not praising the government for their handling of a pandemic, especially in terms of test and trace, which could have been a really good tool. Has, you know, well, they've a, said today, haven't they, that no disaster. one follows it anyway. Was, yeah, it was a disaster. So something like that could have really made a difference for us. And, but, you know, I think in terms of the lockdown, it is, uh, while it's hard to say, you know, would you have preferred maybe we were in national lockdown the whole time to stop people, to stop to have stopped the deaths that occurred? So maybe from March last year to this year, would you have, you know, to, if you were to ask a question, would you have saved all those lives to stay in lockdown for the whole year? So effectively be in a national lockdown for an entire year and had, or had not had that summer last year, have not had that space in the winter where we were slightly more free, have, to have not had Christmas would you have taken that to save those lives in terms of having a whole year in lockdown? Or would Look, many people? For, I'm not necessarily asking yeah. directly, but I'm saying if you were to ask that question, that's an impossible question to answer. It, it, it is. I think looking back, the Christmas thing I was always against anyway, because yeah. everyone could see the writing on the wall. Because And the again, moment, yeah. that, that was insane. Yeah. Boris, you know, these, the Daily Mail, all the papers that, that the government tips off the night before, you know, Boris saves Christmas. Well, he killed 30,000 people, technically, you could argue. Yeah. It was insane. It was ridiculous. Last summer, you're right. I think um, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel now, but you're right. I think if it, we'd been locked down since last March to now. I think totally lost our minds yeah how many people have really struggled it many people are struggling yeah and it could well i say it could be argued it's a fact that if we'd stayed in national lockdown that whole time many lives would have been saved in terms of winter and the cases wouldn't have gone back up because many would have died though as you say yeah many would have died yeah probably more actually maybe but yeah but no but hospital well actually no i suppose the hospitals would have still been there for more routine things but i I don't think I could have coped for the whole year. Yeah. But do you see what I mean when I'm saying that? Uh, although it's although the government haven't handled the pandemic well, when I say that argument about they'd released it any sooner or earlier, that we would have had issues, we still would have had those issues. I'm not saying that the government haven't messed up, but I think that if you were to say to people, okay, should we have been locked down the whole time? I think a lot of people would have said, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, and it goes back to the argument of the government. You know, the scientists can say one thing and we tend to believe them. Yeah. But the government have to take into account so many other factors. I think it just goes back to that previous point where I feel that no matter what the government does, they what the one thing they haven't managed to do, whether that's because of Dominic Cummings, whether that's because everyone looks at Boris and a lot of people just think, oh, for God's sake, you know. Yeah. I mean, what, what is it, the 1st of April today? Yeah, It feels like the biggest April fall of all, that he's our Prime Minister. But hey, yeah. he is, remarkably. But... Is it their messaging? And it, it goes back to that point. No matter what the government does, I think there's still too many people that will just yeah. carry on with their lives regardless. But what I would say as well in terms of the government, um, you know, any government would have got this wrong. Absolutely. Every government in the, the whole of the world, we, you know, we would accept a few who have, you know, maybe Australia, New Zealand, who have, you know, have done well, South Korea, for example. But in terms of, you know, there was news articles in European newspapers about how much of a disaster we were six months ago and we were an embarrassment to the world and America was an embarrassment to the world under Trump and now if you look at America and the UK I wouldn't look at America well in terms of vaccinations their cases are going up badly at the moment what I'm saying is is that every I don't see any government 
which would have handled this any better in this country. Wow. You look at Germany and France, for example, the way they've, you know, they were handling it great at the start, especially Germany. Yeah, yeah. A lot of praise there. Um, but now they're in this same issue as well, with the cases are going up, the va- constant vaccination delays. It's the new um, variant that's doing it. Yeah. And because that does seem so much worse than the first one. Yeah. I'll take your issue. There is one country that was just brilliant. And, and Trump himself said how well he handled it. So America was good until Biden got in, apparently. <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, well, and, and that, actually, I shouldn't joke about that. Because what he did effectively killed so many people. Yeah. And that's, but then I... That's, and that, no, that's willful as well. He willfully did that. He willfully kind of encourage people not to wear masks yeah he, so many different things he did he did do appalling. that but I think if Biden you've got to remember as well that it's not up to the president to decide who's knocked down or not it's up to the states as well this is why you've got cases going up now not because of purely because of Biden you, the reason cases are going up now is not purely because of Biden's incompetence it's because you have certain states with different rules you know no matter what president LA is going to be locked down and places like Florida are always going to be open I would argue the president has quite a big impact particularly someone like Trump he's going to have he's almost going to be able to direct his a lot of his followers on what to do by nature of who they are yeah and I've, to be fair yeah and I heard a lot of you know I have I did hear arguments before about Trump of oh all the stuff he says his provider his personality yeah, that's not an excuse um, well no no I was gonna say is I heard a lot of arguments that that damage has been done that all the damage by his personality has been done and you can be no more damage until we've seen all the COVID stuff where his personality has caused damage and the Capitol Hill riots where his personality undoubtedly caused a lot of damage. I'm not saying he's fully responsible for those people dragging themselves to the Capitol Hill thing, but his personality and his actions did help to, you know, did basically stir up people and people went to the capital and they did commit violence. So the, when people said that his personality doesn't cause as much damage as you think, that was clearly not true as we found out to be the case. Yeah, I mean, what do you think... Okay, just an aside from that, what do you think causes people to just believe and follow? You know, like, what caused people to... I don't know, I don't mean to... I suppose I'm almost labouring the point here in a way, but... What causes people to, these people to just go with Trump and just believe everything that he says, even though patently his intentions are negative? And the same with Brexit, certain things. I know these are things where someone on the opposite side would say to me, well, that's, you're just a a Ramona. Yeah. But I feel certain that people were hoodwinked. I feel certain that Trump hoodwinked people. Yeah. Absolutely certain. What causes these people, arguably the same with Hitler and so, is it desperation? Is it is it the know. state of their lives? Or it's, I think it's but it's the same on both sides. Well, I mean, what causes, you know, people to just, you know, if, if there are some very very good and solid arguments out there to say, for example, that the police in America are not killing black people in the streets just because of their colour of their skin. If you look at so if you look at the statistics yep. of unarmed black people who have died, for example, there are some very good arguments, but that doesn't stop people going around and naturally thinking and basically saying that some celebrities have said that black people are being slaughtered in the streets. That doesn't stop people from going around and saying that. So 
naturally everyone it's a bandwagon isn't well, it? naturally no one has time to properly look into the facts well not no one but very few people whose jobs are outside of the political sphere have time to really look into the facts and create proper well-reasoned opinions that's why we have politicians we have congressmen and we have mps in this country people we can trust well this is the idea that because we don't have the time or most people won't put the effort in or you know don't have the will really so they're taking advantage of that well potentially but then not only that as well it's just you see it throughout history because people just latch themselves to it's that thing of you know tribalism in a way you know you have and you see it now with the division reason america's so divided you either with trump or if you hate if you hate trump you have to hate trump for everything he's ever done so if you hate trump no matter what he does maybe let's say something that he, he was, you know, when he was closing the borders, for example, at the start of the pandemic, in hindsight, that was probably quite a good idea. Yeah. While people were saying it was xenophobic and all of this stuff. And, you know, for, that's an example of maybe something, you know, in terms of the economy before COVID hit, the economy was, you know, going up. People, you know, unemployment was down. And that's a fact. Yeah, yeah. While Trump was in office. But if you hate Trump, you have to hate Trump for everything he's ever done. And if you love Trump, you have to love Trump, no matter what he does. There's, it seems to be on both sides. It's this... And this is probably what Trump, it was whether Trump is the problem or he's like a symptom of, a pro- of the problem. Is he just the symptom of the problem where people are so divided that you have to, if, you, if you're with Trump, you're with him all the way. If you're against him, you're against him all the way, no matter what. And it's probably still manifesting now. So, what, okay, but then I suppose in a way, if I ask a question in a different way, what causes someone to look at Trump, who's obviously a nasty, he's a narcissist. Yeah. He's just out for himself. He's basically a nasty bit of work. Yeah. I would argue Nigel Farage. I would argue Boris Johnson. These people are flawed individuals. Yeah. And there's many on the left as well. Yeah. You know, who are who are just as bad. What causes someone... I don't believe I've ever looked at a politician and followed a politician and thought, I really despise everything about you, but I'm going to vote for you. And... Yeah. To then take it further, I'm going to agree with everything you say. Yeah. I love it. What happens in someone's head to look at someone like Trump and think, he's my guy? Is it because that person who's saying he's my guy is also a nasty bit of work? Maybe, but then, for example, let's say, some of you have an issue that's close to your heart, for example, the border crisis in America. It's called the border crisis because it's a crisis. It's a crisis whether there's a Republican in office or there's a Democrat in office. There's a crisis at the border. Now, if you live in Texas, for example, and you're feeling the impact of that, or if you work maybe on the on the on terms of, on the border force, um, and you feel the impact of that, and someone comes along and says, "Right, we're going to do this. We're actually going to put a concerted effort into that." That's sort of, you know, and a lot of people vote this way. They have for years. It's that main issue. It's the sort of issue where they have like a hierarchy. They of have issues. their one issue. So, yeah. If you're actually concerned about the crisis at the border, which is yeah, which is something to be concerned about, because there is a crisis there, and you see Trump saying he's going to do this, and you say, you know, you see Trump saying he's going to pull out the Paris Climate Accord, and then you vote him in and he does it all, because he's not a politician. He just goes in there and says, all right, well, I said I was going to do it. I am going to do it. Then people maybe get that false hope, or and they vote for him on that one issue. And the same works on the other side as well. People see him as you know, rightly as well, a nasty bit of work. Um, he's not, he was never particularly, a particularly competent president. While, you know, he might have had some successes, he certainly had a lot of issues, yeah, yeah. you know, chief of which definitely the pandemic and stuff. 
And I think, but people people will always do that, you know. You know, there are plenty of older people in this country who will always vote conservative, and will just vote conservative no matter what. And yeah. the same, plenty of young people who will always vote Labour because they have this idea in their head that the Tories are just scum when they actually probably haven't actually had a look into what you know the Tories have done, or they've probably not even had a look into the own of the past of the Labour Party. For example, yeah, you know, eventually the you know the Iraq War. There's not been a huge gap between the two, really. You could. No. So the last 20 years, it's starting to diverge a bit again. Partly because of Corbyn, yeah. yeah well, that's Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I, I do find that interesting. And I wonder if maybe it's that point, as you say. They have this one issue that's important to them. And because this person, this politician agrees with them on that, they pres- almost be- become hypnotised that everything else he says, yeah, he's got good intentions behind it. And I think maybe that all came together then with Brexit and immigration ignoring yeah. the fact that we take fewer refugees for our, by our population than almost any other country on earth yeah. ignoring the fact that we need um, immigrants as we for some reason like to call them yeah. into this country to keep us going yeah. it, they managed to basically spin that as a huge yeah. problem in this country and I think they did a survey, didn't they, in 2010 or something. Uh, what's your biggest issue in the country? What would you vote on? And immigration was 2%. Yeah. yeah and that's, By the time of Brexit, after Brexit, it was something like 60. Yeah. But I mean, and that's another thing as well, is that I think that there are certain, you know, politicians are perceived, probably rightly so, as, you know, slimy, untrustworthy. Tony Blair's a great example of that. Oh, you God, know, Completely yeah. untrustworthy. Uh, you know, same with Damon Cameron, George Osborne. But then people look at certain characters, people look at like Nigel Farage, you can't fault his commitment to that issue. He's been campaigning to leave the EU for 20 plus years now. Oh, yeah. He's completely absolutely. fixated on that issue. And he started that with someone who was actually a real left winger who thought that the EU was becoming some sort of capitalist, you know, mega power. Um, so you can't fault the fact that he says he wants to leave the EU. And you can trust him on that because he'll do it. If you look at a video of Nigel Farage from 20 odd years ago, he's probably saying the same things he's saying yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Same with Trump. Look at Trump 20 years ago. He's probably similar to how he is now. Same thing with especially. I, with I think the difference Bernie's... with Trump was how it was not so long ago when, before he was president saying what a wonderful woman Hillary was and how he'd vote Democrat. Trump yeah. is slightly different. He's then, not a good example. But then an example like who people love Bernie. People love yeah, yeah. Bernie because if you look at a video of him from 1980s and you look at a video of him now, he's the most consistent man on his ideas. And True. people do value that. That's the same for Corbyn, I suppose. Yeah. So people do... Yeah, that's another... That's why people love Corbyn. It's a, if maybe it's a... Pers- Hold on, you say people value that. We've just had Trump, the least consistent of all. Yeah. And he was inconsistent. He, you know, he said he'd be a Democrat, blah, blah, blah. Boris. Yeah. Who would follow whatever is the good thing um the man who on the day when they were launching the referendum was deciding whether which would be better for him politically to stay or go and we've got Keir Starmer as our opposition the biggest flip-flopper of all so in actual fact you're right people do value it but it's funny how the people in power are the ones who've just gone with whatever's popular at the time well yeah I mean maybe it's you know it's the thing of the idea behind it, you know, in terms of, especially with Trump and that, you know, the idea behind Trump is, I mean, you all remember as well, Trump had a very poor position. Hillary is hated. 
there are plenty of Republicans who didn't want to vote for Trump who would have voted for Trump because they'd rather die than have Hillary as president. Yeah. She, and she is an <clears throat> awful woman. Oh, she, she and, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, but, I, I, I get I, that. I think it is more, as well as that, it's more the idea behind it and the face of it as well. If you think, you know, Trump is the face of border wall, never, we're going to get rid of Obamacare, we're going to um, pull out the Paris Climate Accord, we're going to help the economy. If you value that, then you're going to vote for him. Same with Boris. The whole reason they got their majority was not because Boris is such a great Prime Minister. Yes, he's more popular than other Tory cabinet ministers, for example, but it's not because of his ability, not like how Tony Blair won, for example. It's mainly because he said he was going to push through Brexit and people believed him, and he did come in and push Brexit through. That's true, and he only got in because of Brexit. Yeah. I still find it amazing, sat here, that... Because I believe Brexit was a fraud, and because I believe he never really had his heart in it, he was always a Remainer. Um, and you look at all the things, the recent controversies about what's happened with our money yep. in this COVID crisis, going off to money, going off to their mates. Pretty Patel, seventy thousand pound for a eyebrow. eyebrows, you know, lipstick on a pig, if ever I've seen it. Um, but but the point is, all of that, and yet people will defend Boris. To the hill, yeah. To this, no matter what he does, so they've become mystified, I suppose. Just like a lot of younger people, left really on the left, people were obsessed with Corbyn. He could yeah. do no wrong. Yeah, I mean that's the thing as well. Plenty, you know, a good example of that is um, people who are really on the fringes. You know, like trans activists. For some trans activists, for example, is one area. Um, people who really push for hard left socialist policies they won't see the other side you can't you know I think while it's you sort of get that perception of Brexiteers and all of that like you do see the same among among young people as well yeah, this complete inability to even process anything slightly different same sort of inability as you see with these you know so called football hooligan far-right Brexiteers you see that sort of and that, that's just natural of you know people in a way you see that if you believe in an idea so much you see that inability to even consider the fact that maybe you know Boris doesn't have your you know the right intentions at heart just like if you're completely on the you know a left wing really into socialism or you know you're dead set on trans activists for example I've seen trans activists absolutely appalling yeah, yeah. people tear people apart because there's a complete inability to even consider the other side because they think they're so right that they won't even consider another point of view and that's on both sides and you see that so much yeah I must admit I've seen a few things with people that are pretty over on the left and it for some reason it is it often centers around gender well I think another example <coughs> of that as well is a good one that might people might be able to commit more is people pro-choice you know, whatever you think about abortion, it's a highly controversial topic. But the way that people who are pro-life are treated by people who are pro-choice, for example, is a you know can often be appalling. And there is no, there is sometimes no attempt to even see any sort of reason or rationale behind someone who is pro-life. Just because someone's pro-life, it doesn't mean that they are naturally some evil white Republican 70-year-old with, you know, in that, in that sort of caricature. You know, there are a lot of women who are pro-life and a lot of people who set up pro-life charities and, you know, there are a lot of good people on that side of the aisle potentially, but then you will see it in that side of maybe... Pro- I'm not saying all people who are pro-choice think like that, but 
while you see it on the right with Brexit and Trump, you certainly see it on the left with like pro-choice and trans activists, for example, who will just completely disregard and won't even look at, consider the other side at all, just like people on the right will. That's a, a, a very good point because I, I've been guilty of that. And I think much of the media has as well. That a couple of West Wing episodes dealt with it. This issue that all this perception that anyone who's pro-life is uh, archly religious yeah. um, and it's it's just because of religion and that the, the, the issue of rape a child being yeah. born from rape is ignored and yeah I, I do agree with you about uh, the to me the people who are way over on the left are just as dangerous as those yeah. who are way over on the right I think there's a general perception often that you hear far right yeah. and you think, for whatever reason, people think Nazis. Yeah, yeah, football hooligans and all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear far left and you think, a lot of people just think, cool, and lunatics. But <clears throat> your thing about the pro-life thing is very interesting because, yes, whilst I am pro-choice, this issue is a difficult thing. Because as you say, if um, uh, if someone stabs a woman who's pregnant and the baby dies, that's not murder, is it? Because no. the baby was legally never alive until they're born. And obviously your mother's had to deal with this kind of issue multiple times. Yeah. Um, with problem births and problem pregnancies. Where do you stand on the issue of... Uh, I don't know, are you pro-life or pro-choice? You haven't actually said that. Well, I mean, no, you don't have to say. It's... No, I, 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 you know, I, I am pro-choice. And I, you know, and yeah, I am, I am pro-choice, but I don't, I don't see the, I'd have, you know, listened to, I've actually, you know, taken some sort of time actually to listen to a lot of pro-life arguments and yeah. people on the other side and stuff. And there's, you know, there is a fairly logical argument there that in terms of, you know, if, if you consider, you know, if the baby is alive, yeah, you know, if you consider that the baby is alive once it's been conceived, then if you start with that basic con- preconception that that child is alive, then at that point the pro-life argument prevails because if that child is alive and a fully fledged human being, yeah, then at that point the pro-life argument quite clearly prevails because you. Perfectly, ki- perfectly sensible to argument. kill another human being would be unconscious would be completely unconscionable and you know so uh, but it's where you it's if you think that that baby is alive at conception is the issue and, you know and that's the thing with the rape and incest thing it's like well i can understand why it's so controversial it certainly makes sense to me that if you believe that if the child is alive then that child shouldn't unfortunately have to bear the consequence of losing his life for the act for the evil actions done by someone else but the mother so then in that argument we're saying that the life of that unborn child is worth more than the mother's potentially it's well well because it could ruin the rest of her life to have to give birth to that child even if the child's adopted we are talking here about a mother, a woman with a child in her. So no matter what happens, she's going to bond. Yeah, It's going to happen. She's effectively going to be bonding with a rapist's child. That's yeah. where the... And, and I know we're not going to have the argument as such because 
it, it's not something me and you could necessarily argue about. But but do you see what I mean? It's yeah. I do get I I get that point that from the moment it's conceived, it gets a bit ambiguous because obviously we only allow terminations up to a certain point. Yeah, which in a way I guess makes sense because if the child can live outside on its own. If that baby was, if yeah, the, but it's still not legally alive. I know this is the thing, but I guess that makes more sense to do that because if the mother was to give birth, then that child would effectively live off its own yes. will. And absolutely. And, but I think yeah, if you go back to the, you know, the, the rape thing, which is the thing. I mean, yeah, and it is, although it's such a hard one to navigate, to the argument to suggest that if you think that baby's alive, that the baby shouldn't die, because the mother will have to you know live with that is a fairly reasonable one to say that the baby's life is more important than the mother's trauma if you just if you just consider that baby to be alive let's say in this country that a woman's been raped for example and they've got to well like in ireland until recently and you get to 30 weeks for example yeah uh, you know and that baby can live on its own at some point you know people have to question the idea of if that baby can live on its own, should it now die? And I, I'm not even going to come down the side on it because even I'm not completely sure. It's hard sure to know, isn't it? Because it's such a hard question. Yeah. But I think the whole point. I think the whole point of laying out these arguments is to show that, in terms of both sides, for example, that you can't just bludgeon people who are pro-life as evil people because a lot of the intentions behind it are not well. Some you know there are plenty of people with good intentions behind being pro-life you know i've yeah. never seen a louis through documentary of this pe- these people in america who are effectively very pro-life and they put all this money into this basically this sort of little care this little care home so they would basically get women persuade them not to have an abortion if the woman couldn't keep it then they'd raise a child right it's like okay. a little like care home thing so then they'd raise a child or you know and whatever and you know they were blatantly good-hearted people but with an idea which people would see as quite evil yeah, so it's yeah, yeah. such a hard dichotomy and while, while I'm, I am still pro-choice and I still don't think that if a woman decides that she wants to have an abortion and you know she's you know, two or three weeks at that point you know I think that that should be the case and I think that's such a that's, again though as part of our culture as well we have accepted that to be the case that women should have pro-choice but if the government for tomorrow was to turn around and said you're allowed to have an abortion up to 40 weeks you know how would a lot of people feel about that well, yeah, but then if you got it up to 26, you can have an abortion for a cleft palate. You can have it up to, you can have it up to termination. Yeah, yeah. but for, for, all, for so many small deformities, yeah. you can have an abortion. Some people use abortions as birth control. Yeah. There's always different arguments on either side. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It's not something, I agree with you, that's a very interesting one, this on the issue of rape and the issue of the the rights of the child over the rights of the mother who suffered a terrible trauma mm. to then have to suffer another one. Yeah. That's so difficult. It is. And, and, and that's where it must be very difficult from a legal perspective where things have to be black and white. Yeah. That it, it becomes quite difficult to... But then I guess, is it, I get, <clears throat> but then I guess if it's a life of the child, then in terms of, let's say, the US, for example, or even here, you know, you know, first thing in our, you know, one of the, the key things in our human rights is to preserve life. In the U.S. Constitution, it's to preserve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. It's always it's number one. The preservation of life is always number one. I know. So then, does it become hard if, you know, if the law is like that? But I think the whole point of this is not to, 
maybe argue one side or the other because you know you could be a you know, beer for hours but it's just to suggest that just because people don't understand the other point of view or haven't listened that and this will happen on the right and the left in terms here pro-choice completely bashing pro-life and there are there is quite clearly good intentions and in some people who are pro-life and that is i think that's a fact i think you can't argue that everyone who is pro-life is somehow evil just like people who are on the right who will constantly bash people on the left they are completely they are guilty of the same thing they yeah. haven't they don't you know if you completely support trump or support boris you're not accepting or even not even about accepting it's about taking the time to even bother to listen of the suffering of the NHS, for example, or yeah, the true. way in which this government has gone about protests, if you want to use a more recent example of, you know, the extra powers they're awarding to police for protests, certain people on the right or conservatives will just completely dismiss that. So it's just, it's not a right or left problem. It's almost like a cultural thing. Of I, not I, I think you're it. right. It's become, we've become tribal in almost everything. Yeah. And we've become so tribal that oh, I would have been guilty of that. Yeah. With someone arguing the benefits of Brexit. Yeah. I would have been a, okay that's a bad example because you and I know no one's ever come up with a good argument well there are some little good reasons yeah. but the point is yes I've certainly been guilty of the tribalism um, I've been guilty of never having voted Tory yeah. even though in my position technically the Tories should be the party for me Yeah. but I've had this blinkered view that I don't tend to vote for me. I vote for other people. Yeah. Because I vote what's probably better for the country and other people is better for me in the long run. Yeah. You can't always just vote for yourself. No. But I think you make a very good point there that we're getting worse and worse at it. We're becoming more tribal. Yeah. The, you know, footballification of politics. It's what we're doing all the time. Yeah. And, and we, we are so blinkered. Yeah. And one thing you've opened my eyes to over the last year is the fact that the left can be just as terrible as the right. Yeah. You're dead right. It's yeah. it's it's some and of the stuff I see on the left, I I just want to punch them. Yeah. And I think that probably goes back to that school thing about, you know, I need you to apologize where we started actually. Need you to apologize for um what your whole gender's done. Yeah. That's gonna be a left leaning person who's come up with that yeah and, and implementing it in a in a a dismissive way yeah of everyone involved yeah exactly i mean basically getting half a school yeah to stand there and apologize ridiculous yeah and i think well part of the, the reason that's happened as well is because you know what the reason that you know that's sort of happened and the way if you dismiss people on the other sides completely and you don't even listen to the argument, it makes your argument in itself weaker, which is yeah. why people in the left see all this, you know, you get people calling up James O'Brien, you know, screaming their head off about Brexit, and, you know, he's got an easy, he's got an easy fight there. He's, you know, he's got a very easy position there to just sit here and basically well, destroy people. But <laughs> if you see Jacob Rees-Mogg take questions from, you know, people in the public who aren't as clued up as he is and don't know the statistics and don't know all of this, you call up and just shout, you've moved your headquarters here or you've done this, he will destroy them in exactly the same way because 
in terms of that specific knowledge, he's very prepared and he will know his argument completely inside out. Just O'Brien like O'Brien destroyed Reese Mogg though in their interview. Yeah, but it's but it, no matter how skillful Reese Mogg is, yeah. he destroyed him on every point. But it's but it's the point there in the fact that what it does is it, if anything, it leads to worse scrutiny by the public because if you're not in, as informed or you're not as accept, you not even have to be accepting, but if you don't even consider another argument, you will, you know, I could quite happily sit here as someone who is you know, not believing in something. So I could probably quite happily sit here as someone and argue for rigorous laws around speech and the kind of speech we could use. I could probably put a fairly decent argument that we should have pretty tough restrictions on that. Yeah. And I, you know, because I've taken the time to look at both sides, even though I absolutely fundamentally hate that idea of the state coming in and bludgeoning free speech rights. I hate that idea. That's, you know, probably if I had to rank a sort of political policy or value that I value most free speech would be right at the top but because I've taken the time to look at the other side or to look at you know the arguments for maybe certain restrictions on speech you know I probably put it quite a good argument but it makes my argument in the long run stronger because I've I've looked at that and I've decided I don't accept those arguments and I think those arguments are weak in terms but if I'd never bothered to look I might have, and there might be another issue where I look on the other side and I actually change my mind, which I've done loads of times. Yeah, I'm only yeah. 20, I'll change my mind. Everything I'm saying now will probably change in the next five years and the five years after that. Well, not everything, but things will change in terms of my viewpoints and stuff, and people need to be somewhat open to having their mind changed. Yes, both but, sides. But unfortunately, it's almost like you reach the age of 26. And, and that seems to stop. Yeah. You would struggle to live in Canada, ignoring just that the free speech thing. They, they seem yeah. to be moving, they seem to have a number of laws that are yeah. quite frightening, quite dangerous. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, I think the speech laws in Canada and the way they are it's going a, with that is pretty disgraceful, if I'm completely honest. It's appalling. And, it's appalling. Yeah, but you know, that's my personal viewpoint, but that's why I don't live in Canada. But, and it's not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have consequences for speech, but I just think that the basic idea that the state should encroach <clears> on that I really don't like. No, I, 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 I do think it's ridiculous. Um, and that, that, that was how I discovered Peterson, actually, was because of that particular thing. Yeah. When I'd read about that. But, but there's certain other things embodied within that law that, that you think that's an example of where the left can go too far. Yeah. And with any government, as you say, if you go too right wing or too left wing, yeah. you've got that problem. Okay, I've got one last question for you because yeah. I said this will be half an hour. Yeah. It's one hour, 21 minutes, believe it or not. You wake up tomorrow morning. Yeah. Oh, God, I can barely say these words. You're Prime Minister. Yeah. What's the first thing you change first. off the top of your head? You've just woken up okay. and someone's told you you've got to change something Are we, big. Can we get rid of COVID? Can we not include COVID? We do like normal times. Normal times first, then COVID. Okay, well, I think, yeah, in terms of normal times, well, I think in any time, to be honest, the first thing I would do is abolish, um, repeal certain hate speech laws and, you know, replace the elements of harassment back in with other laws. So, because, you know, harassment should still be illegal, but I would abolish hate speech laws like the ones in Scotland, which have just been passed, which I think are ridiculous. And because I don't think this idea of that the government policing speech is one moral and I don't think it works either. I think that, you know, if you look at the US and the UK, both, you know, racial attitudes have changed massively. Yeah. You know, roughly the same, yes, we're ahead, but we arguably started 
further ahead, you know, 40 years ago, for example. Do you think, though, bearing in mind you would be Prime Minister, you'd be a politician, Yeah. no one out there is going to give a damn about what you've just done. Wouldn't you be forced to do something populist? Populist. Maybe, well, maybe but then you say that, but governments come in and they do these popular things, but they also... Yeah, yeah, whack yeah, things in there as well. So that's the if I that's the first thing I would I would okay. probably do. So in COVID times, um, it's probably the same thing. I just make sure we stick to the lockdown exit. Oh, I'd yeah, make true. yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd have to make sure we stick to the lockdown exit, effectively. But yeah, I think that's okay. my, I think that'd be my main priority. And certain, um, you know, maybe certain policing rules, like you know, instantly abolish the protest uh, rule that came in. That, um, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That, you know, that a police somehow have the power to depict, you know, uh, to give to you noise complaints and stuff like that. And yeah, because because that could stop one person protesting, couldn't it? Yeah, and the idea that you can get ten years for just you know for doing doing a statue in and five years for rape. Well, it's not five years for rape, but well, they, they were talking about what it could be the the actual course of the. It was less for rape, wasn't it, at the, at the lower end. Oh yeah, so yeah, so that's the same that's thing. The point. That's the same thing with the hotels, you know. Ten years for living in a COVID hotel. Some child sex sexual offences won't even get you ten years. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. So that's the thing, and it's like, but yeah, I changed some rules on the way, like you know, on certain specific stop and search aspects of like police and stuff. And okay. I'm not sure that, although my mum is an emergency worker, I'm not sure that you should get two years for assaulting an emergency worker while, you know the average person if you assaulted them you only get six months i don't like that idea oh. that because they're an emergency worker they you get a year and a half more for assaulting that kind of person is supposed to assaulting a normal person I, I guess the argument for that is that they're much more liable to be assaulted potentially because of the situations they're in usually yeah. stressful situations yeah. for the person the patient that. Yeah, but I think yeah, I think I understand that as well. But I think in terms of what it is at the moment, well, it's currently a year at the moment if you assault an emergency worker. Yeah. But in the new bill, that would go up to two years. I mean, maybe six months extra. But I don't like the idea that just because you're a police officer or an emergency worker, you're somehow, you know, able to claim more. And it's the same thing. We at work, we've been asked to sign petitions and stuff about. Um, in terms of increasing the fine for assaulting retail workers, for example, I'd, I'd, I'd never sign that petition, even though I'm a retail worker. Because it gets silly. It's a bit like the argument over the vaccines. There's so many exceptions to so many different things. Yeah. It, it could go vaccines? on forever, couldn't it? What do you mean? Well, what I mean is like people were saying, we should vaccinate teachers because schools are going back. We should vaccinate firefighters. We, you know, you end up with so many different um exceptions or, or special cases well, like just like you're saying there emergency workers retail workers it goes on and on doesn't it it gets yeah. too much but also the reason for that as well the so woman on gmb made a quite good point about this she said while it might seem like a good idea the reason they're doing it is because it's just quicker to do it by age yeah it is it's just so much quicker it's all about speed you know unfortunately it's most, about the end goal isn't yeah it? and unfortunately if you're vulnerable as a police officer and you're 60 years old you would have had your vaccine by the time we're speaking now and if you're if you're 40 or 30 the chance you're going to die quite low yeah so, no no that's perfectly logical okay i think yeah i think that's got to be it it's possibly the longest um second longest actually the last one was um possibly a bit longer yeah i was going to throw in a bonus question of um 
what would you like for your 21st birthday but but we can't afford what you'd like no same well when you're a lawyer well, maybe well if i don't get cancelled after this <laughs> that's a good point we haven't talked about being cancelled but i don't think you're going to get cancelled i don't think not enough people listen to them too but you never know if I ever run for office I'm sure someone will dig it up <laughs> that's a good point yeah I could see it, would you say you're left or right huh do you have a uh, no I'd say I'm pretty central I'd say I'm you know more left than some views like how like, in terms of like solving knife crime for example I think that needs to be done with money I think yeah, it needs yeah. to be done with investment I don't think that putting 20,000 more police officers and giving them better stop and search power is a good idea I think that needs to be done with more money in terms of the NHS, if we're going to opt opt for a socialised healthcare system, which seems to which works for us um, at the moment, you need to fund it right. You know, if you're going to have that, then fund it properly. Oh, it's not going to work. And if it's a perfect example right now of how the last ten years of funding cuts, yeah, and then in a massive disaster. We've yes, COVID. Cut. Yes, COVID would have screwed us anyway. <clears throat> but this, the lack of funding affected us at the start in terms of capacity and stuff and it's going to affect us after COVID when we try and recuperate with catching up with with operations and stuff and then I was on a further right on other things like you know speech laws and things like that so it sort of depends really no that's a fair point so so if you ran for office now as you call it which I believe they only do in America um what party would you be presumably green party because you're you're young and you're um I don't know maybe start my own one I don't know I don't particularly like the idea of either of them. <laughs> no, I don't like the idea of either of them at all at the moment. Well, thank you very much for the chat. I all thought right. it would be quick. Um, and, uh, well, happy birthday for when it comes. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. Goodbye. Bye-bye.